0: the uh...
1: The Eurondicon of Kalimnos by the Yerondissa Agnes Maglis and nun Eusevia K. Translated into English by Father Nicholas Pallas. Revision of the English translation by Mrs. Anastasia A. K. and Father Nicholas S. and the abbess Agnes Maglis. Published by the Holy Monastery Panagia Elusia Kalimnos. Dedicated to the venerable personalities who lived orthodox monasticism on the rugged harsh rocks of our island. Prologue of His Eminence Metropolitan Nectarios The monasteries of Kalimnos have a wealthy history of mercy, grace, and the beholding of Jesus. Aside from the monastery of St. Pantolemon. all the other monasteries were born in the duration of slavery, and later of Italian occupation, which was the harshest in matters of faith, the first workers of this spiritual birth were a few distinct spiritual personalities, such as the newly appeared miracle worker, Saint Savas of Calimnos, the ascetic from Patmos, the venerable Amphiloquius Macri, here a monk K, and others, but also women stood up and took an active part in monastic activities in Kalimnos. I could mention many names. In particular, I would like to mention that of Efstokia G, of Emilia, the sisters, Efsevia, and Marika A, and others. All these fervent beings in their faith toward Jesus sowed with their tears the unwithering rose crown of glory, which today adorns our blessed island. However, the sacred monasteries of Kalimnos comprise spiritual castles and the conscience of our people against every plot, against the spotless, holy orthodox faith and our homeland that is on the eastern borderline of Greece. The nuns, and mainly the monks, have golden manuscripts of many struggles and sacrifices to show for the holy faith of Christ and the freedom of the homeland, as they used to say. This slogan was the foundation of every monastery and every soul. For this reason, they were blessed by the Holy Trinitarian God and brought much fruit in works of love, prayer, catechism, and missionary work, both internal and external. Furthermore, they were not lacking in works equally important, such as participation in the struggles for liberation, and the construction of churches and hermitages. The guarding of the language was mainly done by the nuns, who were teachers. They participated in the ministry of the philanthropic institutions of the holy metropolis, the distribution of Christian printed matter, and philanthropy. The monasteries of Kalimnos cultivated ecclesiastical arts, also such as iconography, gold embroidery, the sewing of vestments, Loom work of traditional clothing. In general, their unparalleled diligence aided not only in the spiritual, but also in the general development of all of Kalymnos. Our monasteries today are sacred refugees of every petitioning soul who thirsts for Christ and Greece. They are centers of spiritual retreat, comfort, consolation, hospitality, and support in every good work pleasing to the Lord and philanthropy. For this reason, both the bishop and people have lifted hands before the Lord for the noteworthy achievements of the holy monasteries of Kalimnos and for their good and beautiful struggles. This is the cause of our everlasting glorification of the Lord for the divine habitations of the monastic men and women. And may he bless the authors of this work through which the historical basis of monasticism of Kalimnos is revealed for the first time as the least bishop among hierarchs i praise them congratulate them thank them and am grateful to them in their person i thank all the monastic systems for their sleepless services day and night and for whatever costly and unspeakable works they perform in the vineyard of the church i hope another book will follow also which will contain the miracles of god that occurred and are occurring to this day, in the courtyards of our holy monasteries. These will reveal the mystical ascents, the embraces of the Calumnians, with the divine illuminations and bright flashes of the uncreated energies of the Holy Spirit. I pray from the depths of my heart that all these will help in the edification of the Body of Christ, only for His glory and for the greatest glory of the beloved Mother Orthodox Church. Signed from Calimnos The Feast of the Holy Spirit nineteen ninety eight Hermitage of the Holy Trinity Halis Calimnos Metropolitan of Leros Calimnos and Astephalia Nectarios Introduction of Abbot Amphilochius Narrators Note There are many surnames and terms in Greek that the narrator is insufficient to pronounce correctly we ask for your patience and forbearance in listening to the incorrect pronunciations and ask the listener to go with the flow introduction of abbot amphilochius the thought of his eminence nectarios of leros kalimnos and astepalia for the writing of the eurondicon of kalimnos and its materialization by the Eurondisa of the Holy Monastery of Panagia Elusia, Rotsko Kalimnos, the Most Holy Nun Agnes and her companion, the Most Holy Nun Eusevia, are a blessing from God. Kalimnos, with God's grace, is a very beautiful island of the northern cluster of the Dodios Canis and is very suited for monasticism. Its excellent dry climate is very suitable for people as are monks and nuns who depend mainly on God and not so much on doctors and medicines, since they must live far from the world with fasts, vigils, and other spiritual ascacies which belabor the body, of course, giving wings to the spirit. On its high mountains, fragrant with mountain teas, sage, oregano, and thyme, there exist wonderful caves, both small and large. There are ascetical valleys, solitary slopes as well as shores where souls thirsty for silence and hezekiah and calmness can easily find their rest. The very blue seas around have rocky little islets like huge sails. All the white chapels scattered everywhere elevate the intellect to mystical ascents into the glorification of the all-wise creator. The hospitable and sweetly speaking Calumnians with their innate intense religious feelings, are the best counsels for everyone, seeking the suitable place of refuge to be able to cry out, quote, this is my rest, here I shall dwell, for I was pleased with it, end of quote. Psalm 131 verse 15. Beyond all this, Kalimnos also has a past history, as well as a present, which allows it to have its own eurondikon, As an of Greece, all of Greece thus, also in the Dodecanese, and especially on Kalymnos, From a very long time ago, the monasteries played an important role in the life of the church and of the nation. Speaking about virginity and marriage, the Apostle Paul says on the one hand that, quote, the unmarried person cares for the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, while he who is married cares for the things of the world how to please the wife, 1 Corinthians 7, 32-33. But he simultaneously stresses, quote, this I say, brethren, the time is henceforth restrained, so that those who have wives should also be like those who do not have, 1 Corinthians seven twenty-nine. Thus, married people lived ascetically and had experiences of spiritual life. Furthermore, All the Apostle Paul's letters in which he speaks of purification of the heart, illumination of the soul, or nous, acquisition of noetic prayer, ceaseless prayer, adoption by grace, and life in the Spirit were sent to the churches in which Christians were married and lived with families. This shows that the first apostolic churches lived as monks and nuns live today in the holy monasteries. However, later on, after the cessation of the persecutions, Christianity became the official religion of the state and secularization entered into the church. Essentially, ascetical life was lost, for the most part. Precisely then, monasticism was developed as an attempt to live the essence of the spiritual life. For this reason, the Holy Fathers stressed that monasticism is the continuation of the apostolic age, and life of the church. Monks, nuns, are those who live evangelically, who live repentance to the utmost degree, and try to precisely keep Christ's commandments. Every orthodox monk or nun who lives correctly is an apostle of Christ, as well as a martyr and a prophet. Monastic life is prophetic, apostolic, and meridical. If we wish to see what the essence of monastic life is, we can live the Beatitudes of Christ. A monk begins with deep repentance and crying, which God's mercy offers, and purification of the heart. In the Gospel, in the letters of the Apostle Paul, all the elements which comprise genuine and patristic monasticism are outlined. See the Archimandri Herotheus of Vlacos, of Nafpaktos, a brief introduction to Orthodox spirituality. To continue, the virtue which comprises the basis of monastic life is obedience. According to monastic tradition, the monk or the nun cannot do anything without the agreement and blessing of the hieron or Yerondisa. Before beginning, and when finishing whatsoever service or task inside or outside of the holy monastery, he ought to kiss the hand of the abbot or abbess and seek their blessing. After obedience, another basic virtue is the complete opening of his soul and heart to the spiritual father, the elder, or the spiritual mother, Eurondisa. Every thought, worry, or temptation, the abbot must know to be able to guide the the underling with God's illumination in the footpaths of the spiritual life. Eager obedience and clean confession will guide the monk to humility, without which holiness is not achieved. Something else important for a monk is possessionlessness, poverty. As St. Theodore the Studite says, everything must be common among the brothers or the sisters. The Yeronda or Yerondissa must strive so that no monk or nun has anything of their own, not even one needle. Continence is very necessary for the monk or nun to live in the all-delightful climate of purity of soul and body, and to have purity and virginity, which are of the basic monastic virtues. Every ascesis, however physical or spiritual, must be done with the blessing of the abbot or abbess, so that the struggler does not fall into extremes, which, according to the Holy Fathers, are of the demons. Fasting on the appointed days... The ninths fasts until the end of vespers, and small prostrations, as well as the large Matanyas, are certainly in the daily program of a monk's life. There are also exceptions, such as days during which the prostrations and the fasting are recalled as Sunday and other great feasts. The abbot determines fasting and other ascases, analogous to the task and the idiosyncrasy of each monk. He who works physically gets a rule, while he who is working spiritually gets another. He who is strong in body and character gets a rule, and he who is weak gets yet another. Nevertheless, all these are helpful means and not a goal in and of themselves. A monk, say the Holy Fathers, is called to become a passion killer and not a body killer. The goal of a monk, the one thing is needful. Luke one forty two, is the purification of the heart, the illumination of the noose, and theosis. According to the passage of the Apostle Paul, quote, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every pollution of flesh and spirit, performing sanctification in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 Vigilance, nipsis, "...greatly helps a monk to obtain this purification, illumination, and theosis, which is constant watchfulness of the noose. In accordance with the Lord's words, "...be vigilant and pray that you not enter into temptation." Matthew 26, 41. And the words of the Apostle Peter, "...be vigilant, be watchful. Your opponent, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks, seeking whom to devour." 1 Peter 5, 8. Also, the monologistic prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, Kyrie Iisuchris me, which is also called noetic prayer or prayer of the heart, shows vigilance. According to St. Maximus the Confessor, vigilance keeps the noose pure of tempting attacks. Prayer brings great grace to man's heart. Then a monk, living in a climate of internal silence and calmness, does not think of anything else other than Christ. He longs for nothing else other than to pray ceaselessly to the beloved bridegroom of his soul, not having any other thought. For this reason also, the noetic prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, is called, as we previously mentioned, monologistic prayer. So, orthodox monasticism is reforming. It transfers man from the post-fall state of sin to the pre-fall and primordial state of dispassion and blessedness in Christ. Orthodox monasticism is furthermore a criterion of orthodoxy. In difficult times for the Church, the monks put forth their chests against every delusion and heresy and championed the Orthodox faith with danger and sacrifice of their lives. The non-Greek theologian Hull observes that to this day, monasteries have remained strong fortresses of Christianity and that the Greek Church has many reasons to be proud of its monastics, because it owes them whatever good thing it has to this day. And truly, the saints of our Church, who come mainly from the holy monasteries, left us important works of civilization which are the results of their own sanctified personality. Majestic churches and monastic complexes cause awe and admiration, such as Meteora, Simonopetra at the Holy Mountain, the monastery of Patmos, and so many others. There are frescoes which contemporary artists could copy with difficulty. There are wonderful ecclesiastical hymns with unparalleled literary value. But also in the area of philanthropy and national offering, the Orthodox monasteries were and are always the refuge of believers, and of everyone in general. Hospitals, old-age homes, pharmacies, hostels, schools, and orphanages, Functioned in the past and continue to function in the holy monasteries to the great comfort and care of our suffering fellow man. In Kalimnos, Monk Ezekiel was the teacher of the enslaved race of Greeks in the monastery of St. Pantaleimon, a Hellenic training ground just as similar ones existed in Patmos, Leros, Rhodes, etc. To this day, the social offering of the orphanages of Kalimnos and Rhodes is invaluable and are directed and served by nuns. General Macri characterizes the monasteries as the first championing fortresses of the Greek Revolution. From the monastery of the Holy Lavra in Morai, the revolution set out. The hero, George K., had as a hideaway, the monastery of Panagia, Prociusia. In the Holy Monasteries, the secret schools, the sacred schools functioned, thanks to which we did not lose our language and our faith. The National Father, St. Cosmas at Delos, from a monastery of the holy mountain Philotheu, set out to teach and support the enslaved Greeks, advising them to open schools so their children could learn the language of the gospel, Greek. He himself founded 200 such schools. From all we mentioned, the value and importance of monasticism and monasteries is evidenced for each person, for each area, and for the Church and the nation. It is a blessing from God that Kalimnos has so many monasteries. In these pages, we will read about their history, their founders, and about the persons who reside and struggle in them, thus continuing a centuries-long and sacred holy tradition of sacrifice and offering To our God, glory be unto the ages of ages. Amen. Signed, Archimandrite Amphilochius, Tutskos, abbot of the holy monastery Therai Rhodes, and spiritual father of the holy monastery of Panagia, Eleusia, Kalimnos. The Eurondicon of Kalimnos. Monasticism is a controversial point of old and more recent times, which has Jesus Christ, the Theanthropos, both God and man, and his Virgin Mother as models. This sacred institution began in the Nitria Desert and then proceeded to Palestine, Asia Minor, and the Bosphorus region. From there, monasticism passed to Greece and continued in Europe and the Slavic countries. It was regulated by St. Basil the Great and praised by all the God-bearing fathers of the Church, The Golden Mouth St. John Chrysostom, Gregory the Theologian, Gregory of Nyssa, Athanasius the Great, Methodius of Olympus, and on and on. Monasticism sprouts, is vivified, and bears fruit in the deserts, in unapproachable mountain peaks and the holes of the earth, to be shown to people of all ages the voluntary self-sacrifice of genuine children of God. With infinite gratitude, we gaze at these great personages of the Spirit, who with their amazing sacrifices traced the path of theosis in every place and age. In this ascetical arena, in this white martyrdom of the conscience, with early Christian enthusiasm, many souls hastened from our barren island also. We believe that the aroma of Asia Minor asceticism was transferred in ancient years by pious Calumnians who came and went from the Greek shores of Asia Minor for their personal matters. During the 11th century, with the passage of St. Christodoulos, the monastic seed of our island received a new heavenly breeze, which gave members to the plants and made them strong enough to stand the destructive dryness of the Turkish occupation, while producing rich spiritual fruits. A series of Calumnian spirit-bearing fathers and strugglers of piety held the torch of our Greek Orthodox faith high. In 1911, with the start of the Italian occupation, Divine Providence, through the intercessions of the Venerable Fathers of the Church, triumphant and militant, presented a new inspirer of the monastic ideal on Calimnos. This was the famous ascetic Archimandrite Amphilochius Macris, may his blessing be upon us, of the Holy Monastery of St. John the Theologian of Patmos. A lover of the sanctified family of St. Basil the Great, he appeared at our island also, a dynamiter of souls. He filled with enthusiasm every age and especially youthful hearts. The model of Basiliad, a complex, of charitable institution manned by monks and founded by St. Basil, deeply moved him, inspired him, and gave him the ability to impart his monastic missionary pulse to goodly disposed souls. Thus, on poor Kalimnos, Despite the fact that it does not have a cave of the Revelation, monasticism blossomed, and so many workshops of virtue functioned. Five female cenobitic monasteries with their dependencies, a male monastery, three male hezekasterions, and various hermitages blossomed on Kalimnos. 1. Holy Monastery St. Pantolemon. Toward the western side of the island, to the right edge of an upright, abrupt valley, like an eagle's nest, the whitewashed entrance of a simple cave can be distinguished. According to the poet of the island and historian John Zervos, the oldest monastery of Kalimnos was the above cave, known by the name Holy Monastery. The venerable chapel is dedicated to the nativity of the Theotokos. At the lower side of the valley is a larger cave, dedicated to the healing St. Panteleman. Here, his miracle-working icon is preserved. The cave is about 200 years old, and from one corner of the roof, a healing holy water drips, which believers gather with great piety. In older times, this St. Panteleman cave was a dependency, a building or plot of land belonging to and under the direction of Panagia Joseviticia of Amorgos. During Othon's reign, the above-mentioned dependency was given by his mediation to his Calyminian adjutant, Kalisperes. While Calisperus admiring the disposition of his friend, the priest-monk Eurasimos, to teach Greek letters to the children of their common homeland, Calymnos gave the cave and turned to him. The aforementioned hero-monk G. came to St. Pantalemon's Monastery in 1780. Till then, he was a professor of the high school in Simi. He took refuge, however, in his homeland, having been chased out by the Turks. In this cave, he found a secret school where Greek children learned how to read and write in their own language. He taught as many children as had the capability. As a fervent patriot, he did not neglect to nurture the innocent childlike souls with the teachings of our faith and of our homeland. Here, quote, the first brood of letters of Kalimnos was formed, the hero deacon and great teacher Ezekiel Papostinas. In our time, this male monastery revived with the presence of the monk Eurasimus Zumis, footnote, now a hermit on Manathos, who, with the spiritual guidance of the most eminent Archimandrite Amphalochius Tutskos and the aid of the current Archimandrite Pantalemon. L, now bishop of Ghana, West Africa, and Seraphim, Pacharidis, now abbot of the Holy Monastery of Paramithia in Rhodes, renewed the monastery, adding a new church in the name of Saint Eurasimos of Cappadocia, a complex of cells, a large library room, and cisterns to collect water for rainwater. For a series of years, from 1968 until 1981, with the blessing of the then-Metropolitan Isidore, the elder Amphilochius Tutskos, a spiritual child of the venerable Amphilochius Macri, spiritually guided this holy monastery. Many prayerful vigils and liturgies occurred during this period, and many young people who lived more or less in the sacred area were shown to be faithful workers of the Lord's Vineyard. As hero monks, They offered their services wherever they are, Crete, Sparta, Thessalonica, Africa, and elsewhere. These last years, with the blessing of our current metropolitan Nectarios, the most pious and most ascetical priest, Father Eusebius Mamakas, undertook to oversee the monastery. As a spiritual father, he comforts many troubled souls and liturgizes daily in his holy monastery or. In the nearby female holy monastery of the Ascension, where he is undertaking the duties of a parish priest. Every Sunday afternoon at the clinic of Saint Pantalemon, a supplicatory service to the Most Holy Theotokos is held, which the youth of the Christian bookstore The Truth organized. Many thirsty souls attend and receive strength in their spiritual struggle. We hope that with the active protection of His Eminence, our Metropolitan. We will again see a flourishing male brotherhood, which will continue the spirit bearing work of the founder, quote, the humble among monks, Eurasimos, as it was inscribed in the old Iconostasion, and that it will fill all the ecclesiastical needs of our area. In this manner, the longing of his venerable elder Amphilochius Macri will be fulfilled. His spirit will rejoice from heaven, because his children, as hierarchs, protect Orthodox monasticism, and proceed in the traces of the Venerable Fathers of our Church. It should also be mentioned that today, many problems of the monastery were solved. The road leading to it was paved. The iconostasis, a work of amazing art, was made by the woodcarver M. Kavala. A large water cistern was made for the protection of the nearby forest. And finally, a Byzantine chapel of the Holy Protection was constructed. It would probably be good to mention that the Holy Monastery is used also by the metropolis for lectures, seminars, and inter-Orthodox meetings. One of these lectures was given by the academican, His Eminence Metropolitan of Progamum John. The seminar, quote, orthodoxy and atmosphere, and the inter-Orthodox event in 1988 were held here. At this event during the Vespers, At the monastery of the ever-memorable Metropolitan of Odessa, Sergius presided. With these celebrations, the Metropolitan Nectarios projects not only the monastery, but in general, the monastic-loving Orthodox tradition of Kalimnos. The Sacred Monastery of the Annunciation, Argos Kalimnos. 2. At the eastern edge of the graphic plateau of Argos, a pilgrim today sees the most ancient female Cenobitic monastery of the island, the Annunciation. Within the last two centuries, a prominent pioneer of female monasticism on Kalimnos stands out, the Eurondusa Magdalene. She was born with the name Maria Kutlias. She was the first daughter in a very large family of five girls and five boys who at that time worked in Russia. Aflame with divine Eros, Maria desired to abandon worldly joys and enjoyments and to be completely dedicated to God. She had a dreadful battle, however, from her father and her brothers. The simple and illumined daughter showed a manly train of thought during the period of her trial. With firmness and absolute trust, she gazed at her almighty heavenly bridegroom, He would protect her from the wildness of her father and give her the suitable opportunity for her longing to be fulfilled. It is worth noting just two events, which reveal her divine calling and the miraculous intervention of divine providence. One, one night during which her father was trying to convince her to enter marriage, he faced the unyielding of his daughter and, in a rage and blinded by the influence of our eternal enemy, He threw an axe toward her head. The Lord, however, protected his servant, and the axe missed its mark. Instead of opening the head of the virgin, it got stuck in the door. 2. Another dark and rainy night, her unloving and harsh father threw her out of the house. Her mother, so long as she was hearing the thunders and the flood of water, was excessively anxious for the health of her daughter. So as soon as she perceived her husband fell asleep, she lit a lantern and noiselessly went to the garden to seek her child. You can imagine her joy and surprise when she ascertained that her daughter and the whole area of the pomegranate tree which covered her were completely dry. Tears of gratitude flowed ceaselessly from her motherly eye as she led her to her room. After these family events, she decided to leave secretly for Patmos, where there was a female monastery, the life-giving springs of the Theotokos. Before setting out, she considered it good to get a blessing of the then-Metropolitan John. Trying her, the bishop tried to convince her to change her mind. However, when he saw the young woman's unyielding, he asked her to remain for a few days more until with prayer God would show his will. Three days later he called her father and revealed the irrevocable decision of his daughter. His answer was, My daughter will not go to Patmos. I myself will build her a monastery here. The old man Kulias kept his word. At one family estate at Argos he built a church and a little cell in 1865, when his first daughter was 18 years old. With indescribable joy and glorifying disposition, she settled in her hermitage. At that time, the whole area was uninhabited. There only existed the Vrontos' family at the dependency of the theologian of Patmos quite a distance from the Annunciation. This location inspired her because there pre-existed the dependency of the holy apostles belonging to the holy monastery of the theologian. According to holy tradition, in the 11th century, St. Christodoulos had built it before going to Patmos. The young Maria's departure can be considered a fruit of the prayers and the tears with which the older venerable personalities drenched the plateau of Argos. With holy fear, she received God's calling and worked the triptych of the monastic lifestyle, virginity, poverty, poverty and obedience. For six whole years, she practiced asceticism all alone, enclosed, and received her food from a little window. With unparalleled bravery, she crushed the daily crafts of the hater of good. One night, as occurred with St. Anthony, the demons filled the wall of her cell, the ceiling, and the floor with various insects at the time of prayer. After the seven-year period of complete isolation, Jesus granted the Yerondasa her own younger sister, Athanasia, as her first novice. The decisive step of the two sisters opened the road to less daring souls, but equally fired up with divine eros. God blessed their sacrifice, and they were quickly surrounded by a respectable number of sisters. The Yerondasa Magdalene had natural administrative gifts. With firmness and ascetic bravery, she governed the souls who surrounded her. She was a loving, caring mother for everyone. During her time, the monastery developed into a spiritual oasis for the island and especially for the poor families of the shepherds who in time settled in the area. It would be a great omission if we did not mention the active part that the Monastery of the Annunciation took in the serious ecclesiastical matter of autocephaly of 1935 during the Italian occupation. The nuns did not cower before the fascist power and harshness. With the symbol of triumph, the Holy Cross in hand, they pioneered the great protest which our compatriots held then. There are still sisters alive today who received pitiless beatings from the occupier. One in particular was trampled upon with rage by a soldier's boot. During the period of the Second World War, the monastery of the Annunciation was tried very much. The resources of their maintenance was poor. The primitive industry of head coverings and the village looms could not function normally due to lack of materials. The protection of our Panegia was living, however. The few fields which they themselves sowed, God blessed, and they helped whoever went to seek their aid. The sisters relate that during the time of winnowing, about 30 individuals gathered around the threshing floor. At the end, the Yerondasa gave first to each one the amount which God enlightened her, and the rest she put in the sacks of the monastery. With a grateful heart, she saw the appointed sacks always filling with grain. At this time, the Hieromonk Kiro served as the spiritual father of the monastery. This unavicious, charitable, and loving-caring athenite, came from the island of Kos, and served as parish priest of the sacred church of the peace of God which belonged to Mrs. Ruvali. In previous times, the struggler, Father Hierotheus K of all saints, the ascetic Father Macarios K of Saint Catherine's, the scorner of earthly things, Saint Savas, and the vigorous elder Cyprian V of Saint Catherine served successively. Afterward, there served the strict priest, Lambardaros, the most orthodox father, Chrysostom P., the current father, Augustine K., of all saints, and lately, Father Kyprian M., of St. Catharines. After the war, in 1945, the monastery of Argos, which had undergone trying times, was strengthened with youthful blood. Four sisters in the flesh, nieces of the Eurondisa, arrived from Athens with much, much enthusiasm and sacred zeal. The young sisters organized the existing workshops because they had been previously trained in weaving. In time, they obtained a specialty in the construction of the local costume, the non calymnian cavadi an ankle-length, coat-like garment. The then-mayor, Drosos T., admiring the diligent work of the sisterhood, built and equipped them with a complete weaving shop, Subsequently, the benefactor Solon P. gave the first capital investment for the buying of materials. All the younger sisters, like industrious honeybees, worked there in silence with inner prayer. Each visitor was moved when he saw the organized work and the revival of traditional cloths. The century-old struggler Eurondus and Magdalene did not cease thanking the Lord daily for the amazing protection and progress of her monastery full of days, on August 3rd, 1952, at the age of 105 years, she reposed in the Lord, leaving a flourishing sisterhood of 24 nuns. She felt the end of her earthly life before and appointed the abbacy to her niece, the nun Magdalene, born Helen Coolia. Forty days later, with the fear of God, the young Eurondissa undertook the The burden of governing the monastery. Her forbearance and leniency are exemplary. She keeps silent, forbears, prays, and endures. During her days, the necessary building and installations of the monastery were completed, and the following chapels were added the Archangel Michael, adjacent to the Panagia, St. Catherine's, the Usurary, and the Birth of the Theotokos at the monastery cemetery. The parish priest of the monastery is the simple, good, and tireless father, Makarios Camburakis. His aid to the monastery with self-sacrifice and self-denial is exemplary, outside of which he resides at a cell built at his own expense. The monastery continues acting as a spiritual and material benefactor to those who come. The miraculous grace of our Panagia, the Lady Theotokos, Overshadows these compatriots of ours, both inside and outside of Kalimnos, every one hastens with piety and gratitude to mention the wondrous proofs of her loving care. Barren women have gained the joy of motherhood. sick people were healed, and seafarers were saved. The Annunciation diligently maintains two dependencies at a small distance from the cathedral church of the monastery one St. John the Theologians at Zeres, east of the plateau of Argos. The pious precentor, the elder John Sconides, built this small church with the personal help of the sisterhood at the foundations of an ancient church. According to holy tradition, it belonged to the monastery of St. Christodoulos, and the whole area was full of vineyards. The wine was stored in great clay vessels, which were called Zeres, from which the location gets its name. Two, St. Perescaviz, with her two chapels, of St. Mary of Egypt and of the three martyrs Avivios, Guraios, and Somanos. That dependency is at the northern part of the plateau, a small distance from the ancient monastery of the Holy Apostles and of Panagia the Lady, an edifice of the 9th century. The chapel of St. Perescaviz was built during the Turkish occupation at a time during which the construction of churches was literally forbidden by the occupier. For this reason, the church was begun and finished in one night. The overseeing investigation of the Turkish village police discovered the head builder and killed him. Despite all this, the church was not destroyed. During our days around 1960, the family of the Kalludia brothers strove at its own expense to build the chapel of the three saints. The inhabitants of the island, having as supporters the compatriots outside Kalymnos, also erected the chapel of Saint Mary of Egypt. Later on, the presentor Scornidas added the cells in the cistern with a large cross, which dominates the area. Three, the holy monastery of Saint Catherine. At the southern side of our island, at the wild area of Arvanidi, deep down, one can see with awe the Byzantine domes of the chapels of the Holy Monastery of Saint Catherine. Chronologically, it is considered the second female monastery. One Sunday after the reading of the Holy Gospel, Matthew chapter four, verses eighteen to twenty three, the virtuous Maria I. Zeruni heard a voice telling her, quote, the nets you heard are not these which bring out fish, but the complications of earthly life. Leave these and follow me." End of quote. Immediately after church finished, the goodly disposed and chaste Virgin decided to abandon the comforts of her home for Christ's sake. With sacred zeal she ascended the slope of St. Peter's Mountain and went to her paternal estate, quite a distance, to prove a real victor over the world. She believed firmly that becoming a nun would help her fulfill the calling of the divine voice. Like a thirsty deer, she proceeded to find the springs of life. Quote, to you, my Christ, I dedicate all my heart and my will. You are my sole treasure. Prepare me to worship you eternally. Her lips whispered, and she abandoned herself to the sure hands of divine providence. The beginning was difficult. For three whole years— she lived the zero tricalo, a wall with rocks without mud, chicken coop. The soft daughter had to face the harshness of the wild area, the abandonment of her family, and all types of poverty. The attacks of the invisible enemy were very strong. At every moment, she asked the Lord to grant her the weapons of the spirit to struggle lawfully. Divine consolation did not delay. It was analogous and gave her courage to be brave and forbear whatever God allowed. We note just one notable vision of hers, which she saw during the third year of her asceticism. One noon at twelve, she saw a very beautiful daughter with a crown on her head and black rich garments. She grabbed her by the hand and led her to the place where the Church of St. Catherine is today and told her, quote, "'My daughter,' Make here on the rock a cross. And she wrote down with her finger a cross. Here you will place the foundation stone of my church. And who are you? Maria asked her. I am St. Catherine, and the commandment is of our Christ for my monastery to be made here. At that time, in 1899, a calm, calm, Biblical faster came to the island, the Calimnian ascetic and hero monk, Macarios Kulianos, at the age of 87. He abandoned the spiritual majesty of Agianoros, of obeying a sign from the Most Holy Theotokos, which was repeated for five years. As soon as he was informed of the ascetical life of Maria, Ziruni he called her. Immediately after her first confession, at 22 years of age, he tonsured her a nun of the great habit at the hand of Nicodemus Carophilus and gave her the name Macaria. The tonsure occurred at the skeet of Panagia Chrysoheria on June tenth, eighteen 1899. Among those present were ten young girls who did not return to their families. They immediately followed the tonsure nun. The battle from their families was bitter. Therefore, the girls were found abandoned, deprived of everything, even of their daily bread. However, the miraculous intervention of the saint was moving and strengthened the flame of the girl's sacred decision. One morning, an acquaintance brought to the monastery a can of wheat. From that, they ground one quantity and kneaded the bread of the week. With tear-drenched gratitude toward their heavenly bridegroom, every time they went to get wheat, they found the can filled. In time, the elder Macarios, who had made the first nucleus of the later Monastery of St. Sophia with a few of his underlings, followed the new sister and were settled at the dry plot of land of Arvanides. The first ten years of developing were harsh and very rough. With awe and sacred wonder, the older ones remembered that Sister Macario transported on her shoulders from Pothia, a distance of eight kilometers the materials for the first monastic cells. She lifted the beams with manly virility, and while the sweat ran like a river, she whispered softly, Strengthen my weakness, O Lord. Accept this little toil as a small sacrifice. You carried the weight of the Holy Cross of my sins. Her virtuous and strict life attracted quite a few sisters. Hard life continued in the following years. Sisters are still alive who shared the carrying of the 400 bundles of sage, oregano, thyme, and other mountain plants and herbs, which were needed to burn as asbestos furnace. Twelve such asbestos furnaces had to be maimed with the passage of time. They dug the porcelain and transferred it with a donkey from St. Andrew, a distance of about 2.5 kilometers. The water was also transferred by donkeys— from St. Andrew, and from Vothini, but also with jugs on the delicate shoulders of the sisters. The aforementioned journeys occurred on mountain footpaths, which were very hard to traverse. They sowed, dug, reaped, and threshed on their own. They undertook foreign estates at a profit of 50% of the income. They received strength from ceaseless prayer for all these from the gazing of eternal glory. By 1910, quite a few installations had been made and 18 sisters were gathered. This year is considered as the beginning of the Cenobitic Monastery of St. Catherine. The following year, another four sisters came, and in 1912, the Metropolitan Germanos, through a metropolitan deed, recognized the monastery. The excessively heavy difficulties of the initial development were surpassed the Lord, the giver of crowns, called the experienced and God-bearing Elder Makarios near to him to reward him for his struggle upon the earth. Satisfied with his humble offering to the women's monasticism on Kalimnos being moved, the Elder Makarios repeated the words of the God-bearing Simeon, Now us thou thy servant depart in peace, O Master, and handed over his spirit into the hands of his Savior on November 10th, Nineteen thirteen. As was natural, their spiritual orphanhood was for the sisters their greatest trial. However, our great, greatly compassionate heavenly Father did not let them be deprived of paternal guidance for long. A few months later, He presented them with another noteworthy caretaker for their souls, the humble and God-fearing Father John Buvalis. On November thirteenth, nineteen fifteen. The Rule of the Women's Monastery of St. Catherine in Arvaniti, 16 articles by the hierarchical board member and steward Theophilie HPK was certified. Simultaneously, he himself certified a second regulation with seven articles concerning the abbess, council, and administration of the monastery. The Monastery of St. Catherine was quickly shown to be a spiritual training school of virtue, which the Lord blessed greatly. Despite the distance, all the Calumnians visited the nuns with piety. Many craftsmen and workers offered their services for free. The protectress of the monastery undertook to fill with enthusiasm and grace her benefactions so that the building complex could be completed. During this period, the nuns organized an industry of mandilis. The coming of the elder Kyprian V was considered a special blessing. A brother of the historical holy monastery of Panagia, Hotsivitissa of Amorgos, Father Kyprian undertook paternal duties at the monastery in 1928. For many years, until 1964, the offering of the venerable, frugal, and upright Father Kyprianos was positive and produced for the monastery and, in general, for the whole island. The loving care with which the monastery showed during the period of the Second World War to the Calumnian people is moving. Many ran to the monastery's shelter, as if to their homes, and settled in the cells and courtyards to avoid the bombing. Whatever poor thing the monastery had, everyone shared in, and with God's blessing, the critical period of the dreadful hunger was overcome. During the German occupation, they all were in danger unto death and underwent many pillages. In September of 1947, during his visit to Kalimnos, the venerable hierarch of Edessa Penteleman P. Exarch of the Ecumenical Patriarchate in the Dona Canis gave the office of Archimandrite to Elder Kyprian. During his second visit in November of the same year, Metropolitan Penteleman consecrated the Church of St. Catherine and the Church of the Ancestors of God Joachim and Anna. Metropolitan simultaneously enthroned the Irondusum Marika Zeruni who, with an enlightened noose and motherly love, governed the sacred Cenobium from its inception. Aside from her other monastic virtues, the venerable Mother Macaria also had the gift of discretion. Worthy of admiration are the events which were preserved. 1 pious Christians placed a young girl under her protection whom they managed to break away from the nails of the devil, from a house of ill repute. The strict Makaria was altered into a tender mother. With much loving care, Macaria always kept the girl nearby, delivered of monastic burdens, and in the end she handed over the girl's brightly garbed soul to the Lord. Two. In 1934, during a visit of hers to the Annunciation of Argos, Sister Macario met Nicholas T., who was blind from meningitis. Young Nicholas was then 23 years old, and he had dreadful pains. The Venerable Macaria advised him to leave the medicines aside, to constantly fast, and say the salutations of the Holy Cross. With God's grace and through the Venerable Mother's prayers, all his pains stopped, but he continued to remain blind. She subsequently allowed him to come and go from the Holy Monastery, and disposed a nun to read patristic books to him. He was endowed with a huge memory, and quickly learned all of the Greek horologion by heart, and the rudder of the church. In time, the Lord granted him to receive the monastic tonsure at the dependency of St. Cyprian from the venerable Elder Cyprian V. Until 1952, Nicholas lived both inside and outside the Holy Monastery, and he sold amulets against the evil eye and phylacteries. From the income of this primitive business, the courtyards of St. Catherine were made. In 1952, after the repose of the Venerable Macaria, Nicholas remained permanently inside the monastery until his repose in 1982. His task was to receive pilgrims with kindness and to counsel them with patristic teachings and examples. The venerable repose of Eurondas and Macario was approaching. As a very fruitful olive tree, she was preparing to be transplanted to the incorruptible garden of paradise. However, sweet Jesus wished to grant her the crown of one last struggle to number her in the choir of the venerable martyrs. He considered the painful illness of cancer to be a most appropriate martyrdom. For three whole years, with exemplary bravery and constant gratitude to the Lord, she forbore the unbearable pains of this dreadful illness. Daily, the gold of the venerable Macario was made brighter in the fiery furnace of pain, to which voluntary fasting was added. During all these three years, she ate only a little boiled rice. Sister Sinclitiki, who cared for her, had an order to secretly make the diligently prepared foods, which the love and dedication of the sisterhood provided to disappear. So being completely ready, she called all the sisters near her and gave them her last motherly counsels. Quote, My end is approaching. I want you to remain faithful and dedicated to all the evangelical virtues to always have the aid of the All-Holy Spirit against the unyielding invisible warfare May fervent and humble prayer not be lacking from your hearts, quote. She peacefully gave up her spirit on February 14, 1952. The vacuum which was created with her departure was hard to fill. The 56 years of her monastic life were given to God, to her spiritual children, to prayer, and to the exercise of virtue. The Lord did not overlook all the athletic struggles of so many years, He glorified her in heaven and upon the earth with the fragrance of her holy relics prior to her burial. By the intervention of the Metropolitan Isidore at the time, on February 16, 1952, Sister Philothea was voted in as Eurondisa, but for personal reasons, she moved to the Monastery of All Saints 40 days later. The sisters did not vote in a new Eurondisa out of respect for the aged, sister Eugenia, whom they left as locum tenis until the day of her repose on may second, nineteen sixty. Now nun Cassian undertook the Eurondissa. In the world, Catalina K. was a beloved disciple of the eldress Stok- Stokia, the silent and humble abbess Cassian, after repeated visions, ended up in the monastery of Saint Catherine and not at the Annunciation of Patmos, where her catechist had intended her to go. She was the ecclesiastical nightingale of the time. With her gift, she created sacred contrition for the congregation. Every Holy Thursday, a multitude of believers and the poet John Zervos went on foot to St. Catherine simply to hear the Troparion of Cassian, her charitable heart comforted in a variety of ways those who approached her. From 1968, with the active aid of the simple, unpaid, and fervent hero monk, Ciprian Miculeu, with prudence, simplicity, and love, Nun Cassian governed her flock. Noteworthy is the struggle of the Calyminian sister Euphrosini, Uso- who previously lived as a rich aristocrat of Alexandria, in 1920, she came to the monastery, wearing two rows of golden coins which she hung on St. Catherine's Icon. After the usual trial, she became a nun and was given the name Euphrosini. Simultaneously, she undertook the very hard task of bread maker. Every day, she kneaded on her own 90 kilos of flour. While the loaves were rising, she would bring bundles of mountain tea and mountain plants needed for the stove, and subsequently place them in the stove. She did her task not only without murmuring, but with great joy and eagerness for 47 years. This complete offering of herself did not escape the eye of the all-seeing God. Thus, at 94 years of age, at the dreadful time of her handing her soul over to the Lord, all the sisters pre- present Heard a loud voice saying, Number her in the martyrdom of Saint George and in the patience of Job. Saint Catherine continued, even during our days, to dynamically offer her protection. Noteworthy is the case during which a Calumnian of France demanded by force to take back an estate which some relatives of his had given to the monastery. Father Cyprian with The simplicity which characterized him went before the icon of St. Catherine and told her, I did whatever I could, now you undertake to settle this matter. The saint intervened in a strange manner. A small-bodied priest would appear in the owner's sleep, who imposed upon him to quit his demands. To the owner's amazement, when he descended to Kalymnos and visited Saint Catherine in the person of Father Kyprianos, he recognized the small-bodied priest of his dreams. This was enough for him to quit every demand. The holy monastery of Saint Catherine continues her sacred mission today as well, since it always followed the old calendar. It receives in her embraces most of the old calendarists of Kalymnos, and in such a manner offers precious services to the church. It saves them from the deceptions of the other old calendarist factions who functioned also on Kalimnos. The monastery has two dependencies. One, the male hermitage of St. Kiprian to the east of St. Catherine at the end of the torrent which sets out from its estates at the Vothinia area, a pilgrim sees an oasis surrounded by rocky and barren mountain peaks. This estate was bought for the monastery in 1921 by the monks Macarios M. and Theoclitos Rosos. These two monks sacrificed their calm ascetic life and worked hard in America to help the construction of the monastery, which did not have any financial resources. In particular, the monk Theoclitos is considered a contemporary martyr. He worked in the fiery furnaces of a weapons factory. One day, while a huge crane was transferring Five cubic yards of dissolved iron at 3,500 3, degrees to the molds. The crane got cut. The bucket opened and 30 individuals were instantaneously dissolved. One of them was the monk Theoclitos. Shocking is the miracle which followed. That same night of the occurrence, the nuns of Kalimnos saw him sitting next to the venerable mother Makaria. With amazement and knowing he was in America, they told him, What are you seeking here? He answered smiling, I am here first. Later on, they ascertained that he ended up at the monastery at the time he was burned. At the Vothenia Estate in 1928, Father Cyprian V. settled as elder of the monastery. With much toil and sweat, he built a few cells. In 1954, with the help of pious Christians, he also built the Chapel of St. Cyprian. There he remained until his blessed repose in 1960. The estate was cultivated by St. Catherine's sisters. After Father Cyprian's repose for about a decade, the dependency remained without an elder. However, Saint Catherine sto- strove to present another noteworthy monastic personality, the charismatic and good, and innocent, diligent pastor Father Kyprian, M. His activity transformed the dry field of Vuthini into a fertile and income-giving estate. From June twentieth, nineteen eighty-five, the Lord presented another virtuous underling, the iconographer and excelling graduate of the Ath- Athonius Ecclesiastical School, Demetrius S. The elder and underling with superhuman efforts built the chapel of St. Macarius adjacent to St. Cyprian's and opened a deep well to benefit from rainwater. With the supervision and personal work of both, many works have occurred at St. Catherine's Monastery. The churches of Panagia, the Sweet Kissing, Glicophilusa, St. Philip, the three-part Athenite style, a main church in the center and two chapels on the sides all connected as one building. Dedicated to Saint Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain, Dionysios the Areopikite, Athanasios the Athenite, and Panagia of the entrance of the Theotokos, was also built. Also, cells, wells, and courtyards were cemented. Electrical installations had occurred. In the courtyard behind the altar of Saint Catherine's, a microscopic, charming chapel dedicated to Saint Cyprian was built. In its center, Father Cyprian has made a Proto-Christian baptismal font in the shape of a holy cross for adults. There any foreigners who wish to espouse holy orthodoxy are baptized. As of this writing, about 80 people have so far been baptized. On September twenty seventh, 1988, the monk Macarios was ordained a hero deacon by his eminence Metropolitan Nectarios and was renamed Theoclitos. With eagerness and the fear of God, he helps his illness-prone elder. At the dependency of St. Cyprian, many tired souls are led who experience the purifying grace of the mystery of repentance. It is worth noting the manner in which the miracle-working icon of the sweet-kissing Panagia came to Kalimnos. This holy icon was a beloved treasure of the iconographer Michael of Kafsokalivia, Athos, who was from the island of Simi. For three consecutive nights the Panagia appeared to him and told him to take it to Kalimnos, to the monastery of St. Catherine, because the island needed it. He considered that in ignorance he saddened the Panagia, and she sought to leave him. For this reason, wet with tears, he went to the cell of a Yeronda who was endowed with the gift of clairvoyance and asked him, to pray to God to reveal to him how he transgressed. The elder received the notification that the monk did not sadden her in any way, but she simply wanted him to transfer the icon to Kalimnos to help the island. Consoled but grieved by the departure, he was obedient to the Most Holy Theotokos' will and transported the precious holy icon. From then until his death, he visited it every year. Two, St. Andrew, which is at the southern shore of Kalimnos at a height of about 250 meters from the sea, was bought also in 1921 by the aforementioned monks Macarios M. and Theoclitos R. However, the foundation stone of the church was placed in 1937. At the barrenness of the wilderness, the older nuns cultivated vineyards and planted fruit-bearing trees. Two ascetic nuns always remained there. When the last of them reposed, Sister Matrona, in 1949, a certain woman from St. Basil's parish saw the Archangel Michael, accompanied by ranks of white-garbed beings, the rank of patience of continence. And when she asked the Archangel where they were going, he responded, The Lord sent us to take Matrona. The next morning, as soon as she opened the door, she saw a sister of St. Catherine's going to the mayor's office to declare the death of Sister Matrona. Whoever lived with Sister Matrona witnessed the holy patience which she had in the pains of a hernia which she suffered for Christ's sake, avoiding every medical care. Also, they stressed Sister Matrona's charitable disposition. Daily she had the fisherman's portion ready in a basket and gazed at the sea praying. As soon as Sister Matrona discerned a fishing boat, she herself took it down to the shore overlooking the panes which the descent and ascent caused her in the burning heat of summer or the freezing cold of winter. Today at St. Andrew, no one stays permanently. Both the sisters as well as Elder Ciprian come and go to cultivate and maintain the estates and buildings. However, the graphic chapel of the humble fishermen of Tiberius the first-called apostle, Andrew, continues comforting and preserving the sea-tossed fishermen. We pray that the Lord will quickly present, present worthy successors of the older ascetic women. 5. The Holy Monastery of All Saints Upon entering the port of Kalymnos by ship, on our left we see the picturesque pine-covered mountain rising, at the peak of which, at night, the lit-up huge cross shines. By day, the white group of buildings of the Holy Monastery of St. Savas shows. The founder of this monastery was, at the end of the 19th century, the ascetic and charitable priest-monk Herotheus Kourcourinis from 1844 to 1924, with a small monastic sisterhood over whom the humble and hospitable struggler, the eldress Thecla, Alhuzuzu presided. Father Erothius was a contemporary of the ascetic Maria Z., founder of the Holy Monastery of St. Catherine. He often urged her to abandon the then wild and dangerous area where she stayed and come to the little monastery of all saints. However, as a desert-loving dove, she remained firm in the ascetic urging of her soul, the experienced. Yet under Herotheus, with the purifying power of prayer and asceticism and his enlightened teaching, kept the Chalcedonians and the Greek Orthodox there their train of thought flourishing during the black years of slavery. His monastic lifestyle had the seal of the life of the Holy Fathers of the Church and comprised a precious spiritual inheritance for the following generations. Our Lord rewarded his selfless offering, and today his bones are alongside the reliquary of Saint Savas, exuding a fragrance. After the passage of two years from Father Hierotheus's repose, according to his own prophecy in 1926, the Heavenly Father led the steps of another venerable personality to this quiet and sanctified corner of Kalymnos. This was Father Savas, the Athenite, the Hosovite. That is, he spent time as a monk on Manathos and time in a cave belonging to the Josiva Monastery, the iconographer and spiritual father. Father Savas met Kalimnos through Eurasimus Zervos, the son of Father Clientes, who bought the grounds which are above the Monastery of All Saints toward the west. Eurasimus Zervos strengthened him financially as well. With ceaseless fervent prayer and contrition, St. Savas depicted the divine, meridical, and venerable personalities of our church in an athenite style. Simultaneously, St. Savas worked manually, helping the workers in the construction of his humble monastery. He was a strict faster. According to Monk Savas of the Holy Cross, who was his underling, St. Savas avoided even fruits. Once, Monk Savas related that upon receiving St. Savas' blessing, he planted a few vines in the courtyard of his cell. As soon as the grapes became ripe, Saint Savas ordered him to uproot them. The underling monk Savas pitied them and left one at the end. Yananda, shouldn't we leave just one to make a little shade? Take that out too. These things are not for monks, was the answer. Saint Savas eagerly interrupted his various occupations to comfort each tired soul which visited him. He was simple, loving, caring, and an excellent spiritual father. For the sake of the healing of soul and the strengthening of our faith in the difficult years of the Italian occupation, many times St. Savas sacrificed the quiet of his hermitage and descended to the city, as did St. Anthony early on. He did this to fire up the faithful and the patriotic feeling of the people. In the three-year period, during which the church is closed due to the autocephaly, footnote, an attempt of the Italian occupiers to make the Dodecanese church independent of the ecumenical Patriarchate, which the Italians and the Italian-minded Campanelli, the followers of the Italian who rang the church bells during the above-three-tar period, Attempted, and the chameleon people attended liturgy in all night vigils, which Hero Monk Savas organized in the Little Church of All Saints. At the Analogion, a the chanter's stand, a group of young women chanted with fervor and chastity. They were the future nuns of Yerenda Amphilochius Macri, with the teacher Calliope G. presiding. Many souls nostalgically remember those contritionate divine liturgies for them, it was a spiritual symposium and a source of strength which encouraged them in the harsh struggle against Frankish diplomacy. In 1952, four years after St. Savas' repose, the monastery of St. Savas began functioning with the first nucleus of people, that is to say, Eurondes of Philothei, and three other sisters, Fevronia M., christo B., and Parthenia, D, who came from the monastery of St. Catharines. From their childhood, these sisters, they used to visit Father Savas with their parents, and there, where they were playing with a charming mood, Father Savas would often tell them, you will become brides of Christ, pointing to the cell of each one. He added, here will be your little cells. When they grew up, and continued having the monastic train of thought alive, he urged them to remain at his poor hermitage. They responded that the organized monastery of St. Catherine drew them more. However, with his gift of clairvoyance, he would tell them with simplicity, here, here you will come, here you will come. Finally, they all ended up there, where they desired, but nun Philothee had a strong censure because to some degree she disobeyed her elder father savas and did not make did not go to the monastery of all saints her hierondissa macaria to calm her troubled conscience sent her to receive forgiveness with a prosphoron in hand the saint with his paternal loving care comforted his former underling but in the end with certainty he told her here here one day you will come here and the prophecy of the venerable father took reality through a metropolitan deed of March 23, 1952 during the hierarchy of Metropolitan Isidore, the Holy Monastery was officially proclaimed and Eurondisa Philothei was enthroned as abbess. Daily, she prayed with tears for the progress of her monastery. With the miraculous grace which poured out from the tomb of St. Savas, the meek and compassionate heart of the Eurondissa gathered new strugglers with respect and activity she tried to complete and finish the building complex. Everywhere she had St. Savas as an aid, through which his amazing miracles and appearances occurred. He strengthened her also in her pastoral work when the sisters were shaken by the various attacks of the hater of good. We will mention one event. Sister Cristo de Nymphi felt dreadfully guilty because she left the monastery of her original repentance. One night Saint Savas appeared to her in a vision. He stretched his hand in a circle, including Saint Catherine's and all saints, and said, "You see, my child, all these are yours, are ours. There is a convent, and here is a convent." From the following day every tiring thought was dissolved, and the sister continued her spiritual struggle peacefully. The life of the Holy Monastery took another radiance from April 7, 1957. At that time, with the presence of Metropolitan Isidore, the recovery of the sacred relic of Father Savas occurred. They had in front of them the relic of St. Savas, which was incorrupt and occasioned a spring of startling miracles. The simple and humble life of the Eurondas of Philotheï made her beloved to the people of Kalimnos. And everyone approached her with admiration. With many sacrifices and deprivations, she organized the monastery which we experienced in our own day. The Lord allowed her to have a very trying life with afflictions and bitternesses, as with so many other select souls. For years she was almost bedridden, and she moved only between the armchair and the bed. The bravery which she showed, however, was admirable during her painful illness. She considered it a visitation of our Christ's infinite love and thanked him at every moment. She peacefully gave up her spirit to her heavenly bridegroom on October thirteenth, 1986. We believe that our Lord will reward her for her obvious and hidden struggle upon the earth. With the repose of Eurondus of Philotheï, his eminence Nectarios, a spiritual child of Elder Amphilochius Macri, appointed by Lot the Abbacy to the nun Kiprian, who, as Vasiliki K in the world. Eurondusa Kipriani came from Eratia Kozani. She herself confesses that St. Savas led her steps to his frugal monastery and inundated her youthful heart with the holy feelings of a dedicated life. However, the difficulties of her relocation to Kalimnos were insurmountable for the 18-year-old Macedonian woman. For this reason, Yeronda Sephilothaei, with whom she had previously come in contact, despite her sickly health, underwent this long and tiresome trip to fulfill the sacred longing of the young novice. The conditions of the trip were unfolding somewhat dangerously, because Vasiliki was leaving without the consent of her parents. Divine providence, however, through the intercessions of the saint, facilitated her journey, especially when they arrived at the port of Kalimnos, and the appointed policeman was waiting for them at the dock. Unseen, however, they passed by with all their belongings in front of him, without him perceiving them. When, a few days later in his investigation, he ascertained that the sought-for person arrived on the night when he stayed up all night long at the pier, he was shaken by the divine protection, and he himself aided in her unhampered stay. With gratitude, with humility and love, she performed the tasks of her Holy Monastery. During the first years when no road existed, she descended almost daily to the city with a little donkey and brought food for the monastery. Later on, she was appointed to care for the Sikirondisa. Her obedience, dedication, and respect which she showed to her pained spiritual mother were exemplary. Her sacred offering drew her parents also, and in 1962, they were settled in the monastery of St. Savas where they received the angelic habit. The father, monk Monkerothius, occupied himself with farming. With diligence and consistency, he altered the barren rocky slope of the mountain into a blooming olive grove. Her mother, nun Agathie, with youthful zeal and a praying disposition, performed her monastic duties until the day the Lord called her to continue her ascoses, in a different manner. She remained bedridden for one year and died peacefully on February 2nd, 1991. In September of 1967, Euron Sakiprianis' brother, Stylianos, came to visit them. By divine providence, he also remained to serve at the Holy Monastery. The Metropolitan Isidore ordained him a priest on the Sunday of Orthodoxy in 1968. Father Augustine, from then on, performed the duties of parish priest at the Holy Monastery and periodically liturgized at its dependencies. That is, one, St. Nectarios, and two, St. Stylianos. Also, as a confessor, he offered his services to the island of Kalimnos, and sometimes on Leros. Through the actions of our metropolitan Nectarios, the Ecumenical Patriarchate numbered St. Savas in the Horlog- Hagelagian, the list of recognized saints of the Orthodox Church. A beautiful stone church is being constructed, dedicated to the name of the obscure but now glorious and miracle-working here among Savas of Kalimnos. The Holy Monastery of St. Savas maintains two cathismas, dependencies. That is, again, one, the St. Nectarios, at the western slope of Pothia, near the Boy's Orphanage, there are three adjacent churches dedicated to St. Nectarios, St. Irini, and St. Themilisis. At the edge of the courtyard, there exists a large room and a kitchen for the decoration of Koliva. The plot of land was granted to the Holy Monastery of St. Savas by Th- Themelinia Anastasiu H. Theodru. With the overseeing of the pious and active Katina M., and the Mikoloi family, the aforementioned holy altars and the hall were built so the monastery could obtain financial means. At St. Nectario's dependency, where Father Augustine resides, he confesses those who come every Thursday. 2. St. Stylianos After her husband's death, Maria, the wife of the unmercenary doctor, Saccolario Zervos undertook the girls' orphanage for three and a half years. Afterwards, she became a nun at her estate, which is beneath the forest of St. Anne's, to the left of the New Road, which leads to the square of St. Basil. There, she disposed all the savings she had and built St. Stylianos and St. Perescavie with cells and a cistern. Her life alone at St. Stylianos gave her opportunities for spiritual elevation and expiation. Prior to her holy repose, she granted the whole hermitage to the Holy Monastery of All Saints. She spent the last three months of her life on earth at the Monastery of St. Savas because she had become ill and it was impossible for her to stay alone. In 1967, the Lord called her near him to reward her for her toils. Later on, with the permission of the monastery, at the expenses of the sisterhood of the God-fearing Katina M., the chapels of St. Sebastian, of St. Anastasia the healer with potions, and the myrrh-bearing Mary Magdalene were added. From 1976 on, the Cathisma of St. Stylianos remained without a permanent resident. It is maintained, however, and liturgized by the Yeronda Augustine, the Yerondessa Kipriani, and the Sisters of St. Savas. We should also mention for history's sake that, quote, By the care of his eminence, Nectarios, and by the intervention of the abbess of the female monastery of the ascension of Protis in Ceres, along with the Cereanian minister of public works, Mr. Achilles K., the road was opened and paved. Thus, the thousands of pilgrims who come from all over Greece to venerate the grace-pouring relics of the newly-appeared St. Savas, who practiced asceticism on Kalimnos, could be facilitated. 6. The Holy Monastery of the Ascension. In the central valley of Kalimnos, toward Hora, at Plagiostrada, across the current soccer field, is the liturgical and humble Holy Monastery of the Ascension. It is at John Alohusos's estate that all the litanies for drought and illness used to finish. According to tradition, there pre existed a church. For this reason, the two sisters, Sab- Sabaste, and the dentist Marika Alohuzu decided to build a church, though they did not know which saint to dedicate it to. After prayer, they went to a priest they knew. Father Melitios, upon opening the Holy Gospel, fell upon the passage of the Ascension of Our Lord. After this, in 1940, with the work of the dentist and the selling of paternal estates, the Church of the Holy Ascension was built. After the completion of the church, the pious Savaste, at the age of thirty-five, departed through Leros for the Holy Annunciation Monastery of Patmos. Being moved, she herself related how the grace of our Panagia preserved her unharmed while she passed with her companion through a minefield on Leros. She remained for about ten years on Patmos, and was tonsured a nun of the great schema by her elder Amphilochius Macri, She was very eager, obedient, and worked with excessive zeal in all the monastery tasks. She kneaded, baked, and washed, always tirelessly and with exemplary disposition. Her health, however, did not bear the great deprivations of the monastery and her individual ascoses. For this reason, in August of 1949, her sister Marika transported her to Kalimnos together with another sister Nun, Nectaria, Zambila. Watered with the streams of their Yeronda Emphilochius, Yerondissa of and the first venerable women, she enthusiastically began the construction of a new holy monastery. In December of 1950, she was enthroned as Yerondesa by Metropolitan Isidore, and in 1951, the Metropolitan deed of the monastery was made. With the aid of her sisters and relatives, a new worship station was formed very quickly. Divine liturgies were performed almost daily. In the May of 1953, the consecration of the church was held, and on the 26th of the same month, the ecumenical patriarch Athanagoras sent them a golden cross as a patriarchal blessing. Abbess Eusevia always thanked God who granted her the ability to prepare a humble residence for the Brides of Christ, and asked him to strengthen them and preserve them from the devil's traps. One day, while she was praying, she saw at the outer gate of the holy monastery an archangel with a sword who assured her, quote, I will protect your holy monastery until the close of the age. End quote. The venerable mother kept the rule of the monastery strictly. She prayed fervently, fasted a lot. Did fasts unto the ninth hour on all the days of Lent, except Saturday and Sunday, and had a rich motherly approach with the sisters as soon as the talented sisters came near her. She strove to organize a perfect for priests a per, an area for priests' vestments to be sewed, a room with Sister Isadora and a golden embroidered room with Sister Pulcheria. Their golden embroideries are works of unparalleled art and adorned the holy altars of our churches. Their hierarchical vestments add a Byzantine majesty to Episcopal liturgies. The sisters simultaneously occupied themselves with the cultivation of the monastery estate. Today, the previous dry field is an earthly paradise, covered with tangerine trees, orange trees, lemon trees, and other fruit-bearing trees, which they themselves cultivate. The missionary inheritance of the Yeronda and continued also in the newly formed Monastery of the Ascension. With joy and generosity, the monastery offered charity to those in need. The monastery maintained many families in the village. Alongside material charity, the monastery also had the free distribution of Christian books. It is noteworthy that the Holy Monastery was the pioneer in systematic reading of soul-benefiting books during the decorating of Koliva. Thus, a spiritual offering also occurred to the Thirsty Society of Kalimnos. The missionary and beneficial offering of the monastery obtained a more positive yield with the presence of the tireless elder Paul Nikitaris of Patmos, the former abbot of the Holy Monastery of the Theologian. For a series of years, he was the director of the priest-school Patmias. After the repose of Elder Amphilochius, Euronis F. Stokia considered the vacuum which the lack of a spiritual father created, personally asked the then-Metropolitan Isidore to allow his first child, the experienced and vigilant Father Paul, to undertake the spiritual guidance of the ascension. The Metropolitan, knowing his patristic qualities, gladly gave his blessing. The new Elder received this serious ministry with a good disposition. Time came to officially fulfill for one portion of the Dodokanis the fervent longing of his spiritual elder Amphilochius Macris, who had imbued them with the monastic missionary ideal. Aside from this, Father Paul nurtured and nurtures a particular sympathy and gratitude to the ascension because he had been benefactored by John Alohusis's family as a student of the Nikephorian high school. The calm and approachable spiritual father came at set periods, and the monastery then took on the view of a pilgrimage. A multitude of believers with shoulders weighed down by the guilt of sin were healed and received grace beneath his epitrachylion. To facilitate this sacred work of holy confession, the Eurondissa decided to found the Cathisma of the Apostle Paul with a spacious church and cells in an estate which her uncle, Scevophylax aojuos gaver it is not very far from the main monastery. The cornerstone of the church was laid on october eleventh nineteen sixty four on the Sunday of the Holy Fathers by Metropolitan Isidore and was consecrated by Metropolitan nectarios on november twenty first nineteen eighty three Father Paul completed the building complex at his own expense, adding a large hall for edifying gatherings and talks You're Efsevia, full of spiritual fruits, was called to the Heavenly Kingdom on November 27, 1984 at 82 years of age with a relapse of the flu. The administration of the Holy Monastery was appointed to her sister, the dentist, Nun Maria, 40 days after her repose. With sacred respect and love, the new Yerondasa continues the functioning of the monastery and the traces of the blessed Esevia, being charitable. Easily approachable and kind, she helped and comforted her brethren who would come. She often completed, completely emptied the treasury of the monastery, leaving to God's mercy the five sisters who remained. 7. The Holy Monastery, Panagia Elusa The founding of the sacred monastery, Panagia eliusa was a fruit of earlier attempts by Yerondessa F. Stokia and of Yeronda and Macri, with the cooperation of Mrs. Catherine Vuvalis. All three factors desired that a monastery be made with an active social offering. So, when in 1953 Mrs. Vuvalis founded the Institution of Mercy, which had many faceted goals, mainly social benefit, the idea of founding a monastery for the sisters at the country estate of Catherine Vuvalis was revived, in which case, with the blessing of His Eminence Isidore, the home of Emmanuel Carpathios at the parish of Calimi Mitiosi, Tissa, was rented, where the first nucleus of the Institute of Mercy was settled with Nun Nectarios Zembalia at the head. The first members were Tomias Vasiliki, now Nun Olympiada a distinguished iconographer of the Annunciation, Patmos, Sophia Cargiani, the current sister, Perescavi, Anna Manglis, now nun Agni, Eurondis of the Holy Monastery, Panagia Eleusia, and the catechist, Familia Gatti. Sister Sophia had undertaken to organize the circles of the teaching staff and the ladies for the study of the Holy Scripture. Simultaneously, She gave a few lessons in English at Sister Anna's Institute. The movement of the middle, higher, and working catechetical schools had been appointed to Sister Anna, who was full of sacred zeal. The English Institute fulfilled a double missionary purpose. On the one hand, it armed the children of the much-traveled Kalimnos with the English language, and on the other hand, through its incomes, the first Christian bookstore, the Lampstand, was formed on Kalimnos, and quite a few medicines were given to indignant sick people. Sister Themelina had undertaken the functioning of the bookstore. Later on, this group was transported to Mrs. Vuvalisi's home, the current archaeological uh, archaeological museum, in accordance with her will. There, the graduate of the Theological School of Athens, Maria Maria K. was added, and who is now Sister Efsevia. F undertook the circle of high school and university graduates, and Sister Aspasia P., who daily offered voluntary service at the Vuvallo Hospital. In the meantime, the Committee of the Institute of Mercy strove for the foundation of a monastery at the country estate of Catherine Vuvallis at the location Ruzzo. When the church was completed, Panegia Eli- Eliusa, Sister Nectaria and Themelina and new sisters were henceforth settled there, from where the offering to the hospitable and the catechetical schools continued. The remaining four sisters went to the Annunciation on Patmos, where they were nurtured with monastic teachings. At the island of the Beloved, they received God's particular blessing of having two great personalities oversee the training of their souls, the spirit-bearing father Amphilochius and the leading personality of Eurondasa, Estokia. However, it seems that God's plan hid a new course for the two sisters, Anna and Maria. Sister Nectaria, who was responsible at Rozzo, was forced to return to the Annunciation due to a serious illness. The hermitage of Rozzo was closed for two years because of the sisters who remained there, Sister Joanna undertook to oversee the girls' orphanage of Kalimnos, while Themelina and Demetria were transferred permanently to the Vuvalio Hospital where another three sisters of the Institute of Mercy were also serving. Yerondam Philoky was sad that the worship of God stopped at that quiet corner of Panagia, Eleusa, and he always prayed for its refunctioning. In July of 1968, he received notification from the Lord and sent there the two sisters, Anna and Maria, now renamed Agnes and Efsevia, as nuns of the small habit. With his paternal blessing and the temporary s- seating of a third sister on the part of Eurondas Evstokia, they began the toilsome work of organizing and reforming the holy hermitage. In mid Pentecost 1969, the two sisters were called to their maternal monastery and were tonsured nuns of the Great Schema by the Venerable Elder Amphilochis. The presence of the All Holy Mother was and is very evident. This event supports the sisters in their spiritual and physical struggle. For God's glory, we will mention a few appearances of Our Lady the Theotokos. 1. Sister Pelegia, a great schema nun for 25 years, was serving Mrs. Vuvalis' Holy Church of the Peace of God and stayed in a shed at St. Mama's. Every week she used to visit the monastery. One afternoon as she was cutting wicks, Behind Panagia's altar, she saw Eurondisa Evstokia of Patmos, who smiled at her. Sister Pelagia, out of discretion, did not enter inside the monastery so as not to bother the nuns and interrupt the conversations which they would be having with their Eurondisa. As soon as she descended to Pothia, she met the teacher, Mariana Lambadaru, and announced the arrival of the Eurondisa to her. Mariana Immediately telephoned and complained because they did not notify her to also ascend to the monastery. They told her that the Orrondissa had not come, and everyone remained surprised about the wondrous event. Two Mrs Paniota T the mother of the young elder Amphilochius, visited our holy monastery one summer. Every night when she lay down, she would take off her hearing aid, and no one could communicate with her. On Saturday, at dawn, at 3.30 a.m., she felt a soft hand touching her cheek, and a sweet and thin voice telling her, Wake up, Paniota, because we have liturgy. Mrs. Paniota thought that the sister who we, we had appointed to sleep with her woke her up and she got up. Great, however, was her surprise when she saw the sister sleeping and realized that she was not wearing her hearing aid. The whole area of Panagia, Elusia is owned by the Institute of Mercy. For this reason, when the Holy Hermitage of the Transfiguration of the Savior was formed in the May of 1976, with a seat in the Taborian, a mountainous area above St. Harlambos, which the father of Sister Agnes, Anthony Manglis, had given them, an agreement was signed between the two sisters and the Institute of Mercy, by which they undertook mutual obligations and the spiritual independence of the hermitage was secured. The sisters desired for the Taborian to become the main monastery. The plans of the buildings had been drawn out, and a special lawyer from Thessaloniki, Mr. Ambonis, in 1973 made the necessary documents for the official recognition of the holy hermitage. The metropolitan Isidore, however, loved Panagia a lot and considered it a scorn for Panagia Eleusia to become a dependency, and at the last moment he did not want to sign the papers. He suggested that the Holy Hermitage, the transfiguration of the Savior, be elevated to the Holy Monastery Panagia Eleusio, and for the center to remain there where we were. Thus, with the new metropolitan deed of January eighteenth, 1982, our Holy Monastery was formed. The whole functioning of the monastery was based upon the monastic missionary ideals of the fiery ascetic and missionary Amphilochius Macri. According to his intense desire, the monastery was enhanced by the first hermitage of Taborian, where two sisters retired weekly to exercise ceaseless noetic prayer. Later on in 1976, the second hermitage of St. Macrina was added. In 1970, After the repose of the venerable elder, according to his desire, the spiritual overseeing of the monastery was undertaken by his spiritual child, the Archimandrite Amphilochius Tuskos. He is also a tireless missionary, the spirit-moved worker of the Holy Gospel, who is noble in face and heart, and has offered precious services to the local church of Kalimnos. Very quickly, the new Yerunda with two novices of the monastery, Anastasia P. and Zoe M., and a few helpers, were found at the missionary group of Kolwezi Zaire. There, they worked for about six years, with early Christian enthusiasm in the midst of many deprivations and hardships. The Lord, however, blessed the results of this sacrifice. Many were catechized, and 3,000 Africans were baptized. With their overseeing and even personal work, ten churches were built. During this period, the monastery supplied them as much as possible with food and clothing. The courtyard of the holy monastery, with the help of the zealous ladies of Kalimnos, was transformed sometimes into a candy factory, and at other times into a factory of varying types of work, sewing of baptismal robes, washing, repairing, ironing, packaging, Subsequently, the transportation and sending of the packages followed. Nun Thecla, themelina O from Zaire, is a fruit of that time period and a continuer of this sacred effort. She was trained in the monastery for six years where she learned iconography, sewing of sacred vestments, embroidery with gold, Byzantine music, and the Greek language. The monastery continues with particular interest in Christian love to aid in other missionary groups. Korea, northern Epirus, India, and lately in much-suffering Orthodox Serbia. The spiritual vacuums, which are created during the missionary excursions of Elder Amphilochius Tuskos, as well as his duties as Abbot of the Holy Monastery of the Archangel Michael in Therai, Rhodes, are filled with his blessing by the venerable and experienced spiritual father, Paul Nikitaras, With our Panagia's grace... The Holy Monastery Panagia Eleusio offered and offers help to intermissionary work with the same eagerness. 1. The Yerondesa, knowing the English language, catechizes at the command of His Eminence whichever foreigners desired to acquaint themselves with Holy Orthodoxy and to receive Holy Baptism. 2. Two sisters, Anicia and Mel- Melani, undertook the boys' orphanage of the Holy Metropolis for ten years. 3. Sister Anisia, who reposed in the Lord on April 3rd, 1995, presides over a group of volunteer ladies who visit the old age home on a rotating basis. Their aim is to spiritually and materially support the patients and the foundation in general. 4. The offering of the monastery is also noteworthy to the sick and poor heads of families who are trying to establish themselves. 5. Simultaneously, a spiritual offering is also occurring with a rich lending library of a spiritual content as well as videocassettes which depict the lives of the saints and national matters. Six, an iconography room of Byzantine art has been organized where whichever young woman desires to be trained in this holy art can study and study for free. They frescoed the Panagia in the adjacent chapel of the great martyr Calliope, which the pious Michael Mihalyu, built at his own expense in 77. 7. With the active aid of the Holy Monastery, the new Christian bookstore, The Truth, functions on Kalymnos. To this, on rotation, with fervent Christian disposition, a group of Kalymnian volunteers offers their services. 8. With their living and material offering, they implement the spiritual goals of the, quote, Institute of Mercy. 9. The Holy Monastery of Panagia Elisuousa also gives great importance to the institution of hospitality. It follows the traces of its founder, the Venerable Amphilochius Macri, who often repeated the quote, offer hospitality to foreigners so that you don't become a foreigner to God, end quote. It has offered hospitality not only to Greek women, but also to people from other nations, Africa, Korea, Sweden, Australia in order to impart orthodoxy to their countries. Internally, the sisters, aside from the spiritual program, have a sewing room for priest vestments and occupy themselves with farm jobs, the cultivation of the estate with the tractor that they own, beekeeping, animal raising, and so on. The sisters try as much as possible with the aid of the venerable elders to live orthodox monasticism according to the teachings of their venerable Yeronda and Philokius Macri, the holy monastery, Panagia el Elisuosa maintains two cathismas. One, the Taborian, at the hospitable mountain peak of the windmill, above St. Harlambos of Old Hora, at a height of about 300 meters, one can see, with some effort, on the right side, a humble little church of St. John the Theologian with an adjacent cell and cistern. On the left side, at a distance of about 250 meters, there are two cells with a cistern squeezed into the root of majestic cliffs. These buildings were made during the first years of the creation, with deprivations and the personal struggle of the sisterhood. They were encouraged in this toilsome effort to obtain a suitable corner for spiritual elevation. According to the desire of the Venerable Elder Amphilochius. Alongside the Cenobitic and missionary life, they had to also live the hezekistic life to have opportunity to exercise unceasing noetic prayer more. As he used to say, prayer is the gasoline of our souls. Also, praying monks and nuns offer greater services to our church than those found in social work. This was the viewpoint of our church of the first centuries. St. John the Merciful is an example who, as soon as he became patriarch, built two monasteries. He always strove for them so that the monks, completely undistracted, could pray for the advancement of his work. This sacred drive of the souls of the sisters urged them to eagerly and joyfully accept the suggestion of Eurondisa in June of 1976, to buy a completely deserted shepherd ground with all kinds of deprivation for one year because the finances of the monastery were very indignant. At this place today is the Kathisma of St. Macrina, St. Macrina. As the boat comes out of the long and narrow gulf of Rina Vathi and turns left, one sees the clay roof of St. Macrina's chapel and a gray building complex of cells and cisterns at the height of the fourth little bay. The surrounding slopes, despite the dryness of the rest of Kalimnos, are covered with wild and tame olive trees, wild mastic and cedar bushes. At its eastern slope, The sea spreads out with the islands of Kos and Platy, as well as the naked cape of Katsuni on the right. At the depth to the left, one can discern the blood-drenched shores of Asia Minor. The creation of this hermitage was painful and laborious. With exemplary bravery and patience in the burning heat of July of 1976, the Yerondas and all the sisters transported the materials. At the port of Rina, they shoveled into sacks, sand, and pebbles, loaded them on their little boat, most of the time without any other helper, and subsequently transported them with donkeys to the building ground where the workers were working. The water was also transported from Rina with their microscopic plastic boat. Everything that was transported to Kambi had very great value for the sisterhood, so when on a merciless February stormy night... The sea took 22 sacks of sand and pebbles. The sisters overlooked the winter cold and with desperate dives pulled up their precious treasure. With tears of gratitude, they thanked God the following year, July nineteenth, 1977, when the first divine liturgy took place at the Plain Church, which was dedicated to St. Macrina, the sister of St. Basil the Great. They chose this venerable mother because their venerable elder, Amphilochus Macri, loved and particularly venerated her. All the eastern weathers dangerously attacked the open little gulf. All the eastern weathers dangerously attacked the open little gulf, where the little boat was docked. For this reason, the father of the Yorondesa, Anthony Manglis, and after his death, his wife Maria of the Zervos family, helped financially so that a small port could be created for the protection of the boat and the sisterhood and here the paternal, the personal work of the sisters was necessary for the work to be completed. The first winter did serious harm to the stone port arm, so it was necessary before the new storms would begin for it to be protected with cement blocks which would tie the rocks. New sweating was again shed to gather the materials of concrete and stones which were th- thrown in the forms." From the beginning, the sisters noted the multitude of wild olive trees that could be grafted, so every May they themselves grafted some of them, or special workers did, so the area could be tamed. Today, around 200 of the tame plants are being developed amidst St. Macrina's rocks. Now, with our Lord's blessing and the grace of St. Macrina, the chapel of the dependency is being frescoed. All the sisters in rotation are enjoying that which their soul longed for. During summer months, Female students, female students, and some other spiritual persons receive hospitality and enjoy the rich blessings of God. Our All-Good Father granted the sisterhood to also obtain a portion of the sacred relic of St. Macrina, from Father Amphilochius, Abbot of the Holy Monastery of St. George Hosiva of Palestine. We have appearances of St. Macrina, and many miracles performed, of which we will mention only three. 1. Some years ago, the Calimnian priest John, who lives in Lamia, liturgized at St. Macrina. In his group, there was also an uncle of his. After the divine liturgy, everyone went down to see, and the Eurondasus suggested that the aged elder lie down to rest. An hour later, the old man came out and asked the Eurondasus in the presence of Sister Eleusa, Where is that beautiful nun who came in my room and sat in the armchair next to me? Yerondissa realized that this was an appearance of the saint, and asked, How was the nun? Tall, dark woman with large, beautiful eyes and eyebrows, answered the uncle. Yerondissa again asked him, And what did you say? I told her, I didn't see you in the liturgy today. Do you stay here? And she said, I am Macrina, and I go and come from Caesarea and see my daughters who built me a house here, she answered. I, however, didn't realize where Caesarea is, and she explained to me, from there where they say the carols. 2. Mrs. Joanna Tuscos from Rhodes, the sister-in-law of Elder Amphilochius Macri, of, of forgive me, of Elder Amphilochius Tuscos, developed a tumor on her chest. and The doctors of Rhodes sent her urgently to special doctors. It was July, however, and the feast of St. Macrina was approaching. So the Yeronda indicated to her that they passed by there to venerate the miracle-working saint and then to travel to Thessaloniki for further treatment. After the contritional vespers, the elder appointed the Yeronda so to get oil from the vigil lamp of the saint and do the cross over the tumor. And next day, oh, what a miracle, the tumor had disappeared. She continued her trip, however, so that her cure would be certified by the scholars of Thessaloniki as well when, with unimaginable joy, she returned home. Then the doctors of Rhodes, also with great amazement, ascertained the miracle. 3. According to the program of the monastery, the morning service begins at 4 a.m. Visitors are free to come later on. The new Yeranda Father Amphilochius Tuscos suggested that the program at St. Macrina's change in the summer because many tired souls come. So he appointed that the service begin an hour later, that is, at 5 a.m., Well, the sisters got upset, but they were obedient, and as soon as the visitors appeared, they told the church caretaker to ring at 5 a.m. the next morning. How everyone was surprised when the bell rang normally at 4 a.m. We believe that the spirit of our venerable Elder Amphalochius will be comforted for the creation of this hermitage, and he will be praying for the salvation of our souls. 8 the sacred hermitage of the Holy Trinity of Hali. The building complex of the Holy Trinity deeply impresses the pilgrim who arrives by boat or car. It is on the southeastern edge of the Hali Peninsula. When one stands behind the outer hallway of the altar, he has the feeling he is on the bridge of a large boat. This graphic and hesychastic expanse was first given to Anthony Manglis by his cousin Lindell P., Now, because he knew the sisters' desire to obtain a solitary hermitage, he transferred the gift to the holy monastery Panegia Eliuso. The sisters, according to the counsels of the venerable elder Amphilochius Macris, wanted a men's hermitage to be alongside the female monastery, where the spiritual fathers would rest, who would nourish the monastery and the island in general. For this reason, fulfilling the desire of the younger elder Amphilochius, Tuscos also. So on June, July 4th, 1986, they granted the above expanse under certain conditions. At the time when the area of the Halis was given to the monastery, the pious Mrs. Kalitissa are asked a favor from the sisters of Panagia, Eliusa, to build a rozzo, a church which she had vowed. The sisters considered this case as an opportunity and asked her to accept the building of a church which she had asked for on the Hali estate, developing to her the dependency it would have from the monastery and the large destination of the future hermitage. The goodly disposed and charitable Mrs. Calatina accepted the suggestion. It was necessary, however, to open a road to transport the materials. The expenses of the road were paid for by the then novitiate nuns Anisia and Milani, out of their personal savings, which they brought to the Holy Monastery. Due to the inclination of the ground, the money of the aforementioned donor, 400,000 drachmas, finished when they reached the floor of the church. So, with new deprivations, the monastery undertook to complete the church and the cells with minimal donations. All the portable Byzantine icons which exist in the Trihapostite Church of the Holy Trinity, the sacred vessels, and the liturgical books are a gift of the obscure and nevertheless great benefactor of Kalimnos, Caliottisio R. Later on, she built and supplied a chapel in honor of the Archangel Michael. This time, the vow was her brother's. At this hermitage, with the Metropolitan Isidore's blessing, Amphalochius Macri remained at times when he visited Kalimnos for spiritual nurturing. He was always accompanied by priests, missionaries, Seminarians, students, and university professors, and gave a spiritual vivacity to our island. Two youths from Zaire, Peter and Andrew, spent their first student vacations at Holy Trinity. At this time, with the Metropolitan Deed of March 25, 1986, of Metropolitan Nectarios, the Sacred Hermitage of the Holy Trinity was officially recognized. In December of 1986, Elder Amphilochius brought monk Yosif Grekos from Rhodes, a spiritual child of Father Seraphim Parcadi. Monk Yosif remained there for about one and a half years. During this time, he diligently prepared and passed the introductory exams of the pastoral department of the Theological School of the University of Thessaloniki. He simultaneously oversaw the continual works of the hermitage, the smoothing and widening of the road at the expense of Elder Amphilochius, the completion of the library beneath the church, for which Mrs. Maria Manglis offered 200,000 drachmas and a few completing works of the craftsman Mihilehu at the Archangel with money from Mrs. R. On October 4, 1987, Yosef was ordained hero Deacon, and 15 days later, A priest, the former Yosef, now Father Photius, undertook his duties as liturgist of the Most High with sacred zeal, and he served the monastery as a parish priest almost two years with breaks due to his studies. In time, the eremitic atmosphere of Holy Trinity began tiring him, and he asked the Holy Monastery of the Ascension to grant him their own dependency at Flaska, the Apostle Paul. In this case, he was transferred around the end of 1987, and the Holy Trinity remained without a permanent inhabitant for a period of time. The all-good God, however, sent the simplistic and very hard-working monk Thaddeus K., who had served the Lord for four years at the dependency of the all-holy tomb of the Holy Apostles at Tiberias. Brother Thaddeus remained at the hermitage, first of Platis and then of Halis. From May of nineteen eighty two to this day, with a break during which he went to Australia for personal reasons. With the presence and the zeal of Brother Thaddeus, the hermitage took another view. It was truly rejuvenated. With the offerings of pious Calimnian families of Australia, a second chapel was built in honour of Saint Foltius, and now he is occupied with putting wire gauze around the whole cape. We pray to the Lord to show forth one day this humble hermitage as a spiritual lighthouse for the whole of the Dodokanese islands. 9. The Askeraton of the Cross On the western side of the island, to the left of the shore of Katuni, when one lifts his gaze, he sees that at the root of the imposing cliffs, at a height of about 200 meters from the sea, like a nest of a wild dove, the castle of the holy Escaterion of the elevation of the precious cross. At the beginning of our century, the god-fearing George Zareftes and Irene of the Kassara family took a walk on the abrupt slope and found the icon of the holy cross in the cave. Being deeply moved, they kissed the precious treasure, and inside them the fervent desire to alter this place to a holy altar sprang forth. In this manner, there where the irrational animals rested at other times, the rational sheep would be resupplied. The sacred desire quickly became a deed. At their own expense and the contributions of faithful Christians, the Chapel of the Cross and of St. Irene was built, as well as a few cells and a cistern. The transport of materials, despite how difficult it is to traverse the area, happened with the participation of many volunteers, even children too. The proto-Christian zeal of George and Irene inspired them to a higher spiritual life. They believed that their new eremitic habitation would help them prepare for heaven, since they didn't have any other family obligations, being childless. They lived with fear of God, prayer, fasting, until the Lord called them to their eternal habitations. Their bones, as the relics of possessors, are found placed in a corner of the church. For a series of years, the cross remained under the protection of the pious Calumnian people, like all the other chapels that are in desert places. God, however, destined the uninhabitable but sanctified Ascetarion to become the spiritual arena of a new venerable personality, the very ascetical underling of St. Sava, and later on of Elder Amphilochius Macri, the monk Nikiforos Lapas, who for a 20-year period remained at the Ascetarion of Yosef the Betrothed at Kuvari of Patmos in 1960 at 57 years of age, by divine will settled in the Ascetarion of the Cross renamed Savas, thanks to the local saint. He remained there for 32 years till his repose. This period was a period of harsh ascetical struggles done in secret. The Lord, however, wanted through the revelation of a harsh asceticism of his for us to imagine the other ones. John Halkides, a regular visitor of Monk Savas, ascended to the cross one noon noiselessly and saw an amazing sight. Savas was carrying on his shoulders a board from which two baskets full of rocks and irons were hanging. With this burden he did circular walks in the courtyard of his Ascaterion, until he fell down from tiredness with the weights on him at that moment john approached him as soon as the Yerund noticed him he was distressed and asked him not to tell anyone through patience persistence his exemplary humility very strict fasting and unceasing noetic prayer he altered his Ascaterion to a spiritual machine gun turret from where he crushed his attacking invisible enemy who raged against him. He lived all his years in absolute poverty and obscurity. He was distinguished by his deep faith and dedication to his Savior. The gift of Hezekiah and ceaseless divine contrition was the result of revealing theorias and direct contact with the uncreated light. We mention only three cases. 1. Before departing for Patmos, as an underling of St. Savas, he served him during the Divine Liturgies. One Sunday, as Father Savas was commemorating the names at the Holy Prothesis, the then-Nikiforo saw an infant being slaughtered, and subsequently, when the precious gift was transferred, the blood flowed on the holy altar table. He was so shaken that he shot out of the sacred altar and broke into ceaseless sobs. When the Divine Liturgy finished, the saint asked him why he went outside. He startled, but with simplicity and a natural manner related to him what he saw. Saint Savas then lifted up his finger to his mouth and told him, Silence, silence, you won't tell it anywhere before I die. 2. During the time he was practicing hezekism at his hermitage at Kuvari at Patmos, when the weather was mild, he used to pray outside his cell. One night, while he was praying on his knees, he saw a pillar of fire descending from the sky. In a little while, he ended up showered by this divine light. He lowered his face to the ground and broke down into burning tears, asking for God's mercy. He thought it was a sign of his sinfulness. Early in the morning, he ran to his Yeronda father amphilochus Macrean Macri and with contrition, related to him what happened. The clairvoyant elder settled him down and spoke to him about the divine energies of the uncreated light. He subsequently founded at the aforementioned place the Church of Joseph the Betrothed. Three, Father Paul Nikitaros related to us that on one moonless night they threw the nets with Brother Nikiforos at the Kuvari Gulf. As usual at 11 p.m., they pulled the nets in, and they had to take the fish out. Father Paul asked him, "How will we take the fish out without light?" Eh, "God will provide," Monkey Nikiforos responded. In a little while, while they were saying the salutations of the Most Holy Theotokos, a bright disk appeared over them. Father Paul thought it was a satellite, and he got scared, and that did not fall and burned them. Brother Nicky Forrest, however, remained completely unmoved. The light remained until they finished their work. It disappeared when they threw their f- few nets for a second time. His chaste biblical face caused awe and spiritual elevation to the visitors. Yerondis Agnes mentions the characteristic following event. Quote, One fall, sunset, remains unforgettable to me during which he re- we reached him as he was doing vespers in the cave, in the joyous light of the vigil lamps and the candilies. The young orthodox Swiss woman whom I was accompanying, upon seeing his venerable face, broke into silent tears until the end of the service. We remained near him for a few minutes, and with much loving care he gave laconic wishes and counsels. This meeting of ours was so stirring that the foreigner admitted in amazement, I fervently thank you for the great gift you gave me. The whole of Europe doesn't have one such person to show. Monk Savas, imitating the holy desert fathers, never remained idle. He believed that work with knowledge purifies man. To the existing buildings, he added a small chapel honoring the name of Joseph the Betrothed, in which he did his winter services. With his personal work, he completed the ascending footpath which led to his Golgotha, He loved nature and had great skill to alter wild trees to fruit-bearing trees. This grace was admitted by all of Kalimnos and he gladly grafted for free wherever they called him. The time for his departure for heaven was approaching. He suffered a serious heart condition and as soon as Sister Katina, who was in Australia, was informed of it, she hastened and remained near him to comfort him. The arrival, however, of his sister did not change his sparse diet. Many times he spent the day with one mountain tea and a simple cup of soup. According to Abba Thalassios, a continent noose is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is precisely what Monk Savas achieved. We must not omit that what his sister related to us. During the last time during which he wanted to descend to the city, his sister was preventing him because his doctor had forbidden every movement. He, however, insisted and departed. His anxious sister, a simple woman, went to the edge of the courtyard, leaned on the wall, and observed him. Suddenly, with a feeling of admiration or holy fear, she saw him not touching the ground, and in seconds he ended up at the end of the descent. When she calculated that it was the time for his return, She took binoculars to have better vision. Oh, by the miracles of our Lord! When the yaranda appeared at the beginning of the abrupt ascent, he was accompanied and held up by two youths dressed in white, whom she herself did not recognize. With tears she thanked God because these youths appeared. She observed them till they arrived at the last turn of the road. Joyous! She ran to welcome them at the peak of the stairs. How startling was her surprise when she saw Father Savas all alone with a prosphoron in hand. "'Where did your company go?' she asked him startled. The elder immediately took a very strict mood, and he told her, "'Silence, silence, don't say it again.' "'We visited him for the last time at his askaterion in August of 91.' He seemed to have been informed of his departure, and he spoke to us revealing about the difficult times that we are undergoing. Simultaneously, he gave us precious paternal counsels for our spiritual edification. In the fall time, he suffered a flu. For many days, he was tortured by high fever. Because, however, his shaken health showed him, showed him serious yieldings by the command of his eminence, he was transferred forcefully with a stretcher to the Vuvalio Hospital. Here in the cell of the clinic, his last crown-bearing contest began. The doctors diagnosed that he had suffered Ilias, and he needed direct intervention. They did not try, however, to operate on him, because his intestinal system had become thin due to his strict fasts. After this, everybody expected that within three days he would succumb. The Lord, however, had not decided his repose and he miraculously lived more than 40 days in this painful and serious condition. During the whole time of his hospitalization, the doctors and the nurses treated him with much respect and admiration. He would not allow a female hand to serve him. The Almighty God wanted this bright star to not be quenched in obscurity, but to scatter his last beneficial rays on the crumbling society of our island, His endurance and holy patience, which he showed during the whole duration of his residence, were exemplary. New signs of his holiness appeared, and we will mention a few. One, Father Paul, coming from Patmos at 2.30 a.m. As he approached the hospital, told his companion, Nicholas Mamakas, Please make a stop. I want to see Father Savas. Nicholas mentioned what an unsuitable time that it was. Father Paul, however, insisted, and in a few minutes, they ended up in the hospital hallway. Without his arrival having been announced, they they heard him joyfully tell his sister, Katina, Paul, Paul is coming. Two, at one of our visits, we asked him, did de Amphilochius come, who had reposed uh, 22 years prior? He came twice, he answered. And St. Savas? Who had reposed in 1948 Oh, well, there he is he is here and he pointed to a spot across his bed three at that time it happened that sister Kiriaki from the Annunciation Patmos was hospitalized and she was accompanied by sister Euthemia one day two girls appeared and were looking for a sick monk sister Euthemia led them to his room the girls as soon as they saw him They said with one voice, Ah, that's him. And they remained motionless for quite some time looking at him. When they recovered, they related to the sister that both of them saw the same dream the previous night. They ended up at St. Savas' monastery, and there the saint himself appeared, accompanied by a monk. The girls did a prostration and kissed the saint's hand, ignoring the monk to some degree. St. Savas told them, And he is Savas, but he is still at the hospital. In the morning, the two friends related to one another their strange dream, and they went to the hospital. There, they ascertained the truth of their dream. 4. On the Sunday of Holy Orthodoxy, after the Divine Liturgy, a few acquaintances of his had visited him as usual. Suddenly, while they thought that Father Savas is in a coma, they heard him say, Silence, don't speak. Don't you hear that a liturgy is going on? Twelve patriarchs are over here. There's Athanasios too. Hey, sit, sit down. And he was pulling himself over on the bed to make room for his heavenly visitor to sit. Similar invisible divine liturgies were repeated, and he himself admitted that he also received divine communion invisibly. On April 7, 1992, the end of his earthly life rang. Noiselessly and humbly, he handed over his spirit to his heavenly bridegroom. Quote, the overlooker of the things below and passerby, the lover of things above and a citizen of heaven. His funeral was brilliant. His eminence gave a majestic tone with his spiritual homily and the presence of all the clergy. Quite moving, was the lifting up of his sacred bier, which was held by soldiers and was accompanied by his eminence and the clergy walking, who were dressed with their sacred vestments. The multitude poured out on all the slope, because the narrow footpath did not suffice. Everyone had the feeling that they were accompanying a saint, and they did not consider the torrent of rain which lasted till his burial, and which Kalymnos badly needed, because there was a drought." His beer was placed in a hewn tomb which he himself had prepared. Now he is praying in the heavenly dwellings for all of us and his spirit will particularly be comforted when a worthy continuer of his struggles is found. The Hermit Savas Lapas. May his blessing be upon us. Further publication of the Holy Monastery Panagia Eleusa our Yeronda, in English, published in 1995 on the life of the Elder Amphilochius Macris of Patmos.